Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The award-winning Crunch Time. Charlie Cameron has the ball, kicks inside 50, all by himself, Danaher. And he'll take a bounce, run into an open goal and kick his spin. And put it back inside 50 towards Danaher. Got the sin and took the mark! For the crowd on the outer side, a little hanger for Joe. From about 45 goes the check side, looks okay, it's through. What was he worried about, Eric Hipwood? Charlie trying to run the footy down. Cam Rayner has it, loops the handball over the top to Charlie, and he kicks another goal. Oh, they're running away with this, the Lions. In the Adelaide Hills, it was the Lions who romped to victory by 75 points as the honeymoon period all but ends for Alistair Clarkson and his Kangaroos. About three steps in from the boundary line, right side for a rifle, the swings around, just pokes it to the top of the square. There's a mass of people down there, Draper! Just stood in the middle of an eight-man pack. There was not one Melbourne fist. They all tried to mark it. And Draper from three metres out. Sound Draper, point-blank range, puts the Bombers back in front. High ball inside the 50. They fly from various angles. Langford stayed down, gives it to Draper, kicks the goal. (laughs) Brilliant stuff from the Bombers. Draper has three. Bounces the ball up to the 50, Langford went the body work on May and got rid of him. Langford outside of the boot, slides it through. One of the great goals we've ever seen at the ground. Laverde flies and takes them. That's That's the one for Brad Scott and his new men. Essendon take the prize, scalp of Melbourne. It was a result that no one saw coming. The Bombers are 4-1 after beating Melbourne at their own game. Is it time to start dreaming of September? Enormous pressure, power, pepper, second effort, they call play on. He can look at the goal, Southern end. It's not a bad kick, it's a magnificent kick. The footy and eyes only for the goals, power, pepper. Doesn't quite get the carries that marked in the pocket, no free kick. Step on goal, it's a beauty to Ben Jones. Darcy Ben Jones. Oh, very risky. Butters gets it. He'll kick a goal. Larry snaps around on the right. He does. Well, that should be game set match. Port Adelaide lead by 15 points, and the boys get around him. Nice big leap there. There's the siren. What a gutsy win by Port Adelaide. They get up, and the margin is 15 points. Well, the wet weather didn't dampen Port Adelaide's spirits in their come-from-behind win over the Bulldogs. Ken's men kicking the last four goals to seal the game. You're listening to Sunday Crunch Time. Are the Dons the real deal? Has the bubble burst for the ruse? And just what to make of the booing of Jason Horn Francis? Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Josh Jenkins for Sunday Crunch Time. Tom, good morning. Morning, Sarah. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a big week in Adelaide. 
been watching it from afar with a fair bit of FOMO, I've got to say. Yeah, I'm jealous I'm not there. Gather Round is here to stay. I, I can't wait to is. talk about it a bit later. There's plenty of news to discuss as well. And an MRO incident that's involving one of the game's best midfielders. All right, well, we will get to that. Josh Jenkins, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning to you both, yeah. FOMO is not something I think I've ever experienced, but uh, yeah, I was supposed to be over there today in a in a different uh, in a different format, but I'm instead at home looking after the uh, looking after my twins. So uh, I've uh, yeah, ever since Thursday night rolled around, I've been uh, upset. I haven't been over in Adelaide, but uh, from what we've seen on TV, geez, it's been a, an absolute bona fide success. And of course, Gather Round is going to be one of the big talking points I should say on today's show also the Dons they stun the D's they go four and one Port Adelaide's win was significant but I think we're going to delve into the booing of Jason Horn Francis that Ken Hinckley he weighed into last night and earlier in the day Brisbane they absolutely spanked North Melbourne by 75 points 116 of those points they scored were from turnovers but first Tom Mm. I'm after your Sunday snap my Sunday snap is Tom Papley Josh, I think Tom Papley is the most watchable player in the AFL at the moment, certainly in the top handful. When he's at his best, as he was the other night, six goals, 25 disposals, he just he, the whole game revolves around him. He was unbelievable. He, that's a clear three-voter. Three and if you go back a few years, he requested a trade to Carlton yeah. in 2019 after finishing fourth in the best and fairest. He then flirted leaving again in 2020. He's now signed until the end of 2028. Um when Tom Papley's at his best, maybe there's some others around the competition that I would watch as much as him, but I can't imagine anyone more watchable from a midfield forward perspective. I don't know how you see it. Oh, I love him. I love him. Love the energy that he plays with. He's a guy that uh, I imagine would be incredibly fun <laughs> to play with. Sometimes frustrating because he <laughs> likes the big sticks, but uh, he'd how be an he amazing teammate. Um, I can't really re- recall him ever, you know, sort of... He's certainly chatty and energetic, <laughs> but uh, at the SEG, just gets the crowd up and about. It's incredible. Well, he was getting the crowd up and about at Adelaide Oval, and what was remarkable about, about that performance was his six goals, they came in the second half, but I mm. thought in that first half... He was an architect. He was setting up other players. He set up Corey Warner for his first goal and almost got as much energy out of doing that as he did kicking his own goals. And that's what he is for the Swans. He's an absolute fire starter. And it's a luxury of John Longmire's that he gets to roll him through the middle because there were times where I think he was getting his own centre clearance, Tom. <laughs> and then he ends up kicking the goal down the other end. Well, he's never kicked six goals in a game before. It's been 70 games since he's had 25 touches. I don't care what era you're playing in, 25 disposals and six goals is a three-voter. That, that just, just set and forget. Three votes for the Brownlow. Well, I, I played in a game with uh, Tom Lynch, who's uh, currently at the Kangaroos. He had 24 and kicked 10 in a game and got two votes. <laughs> Excuse got two me? Votes. Who got three? Uh, danger. Obviously, (laughs) (laughs) what a danger have that day! Forty and nine or something. Yeah, something, something. Well, no. To be honest, I think Pat kicked four, but twenty four and ten doesn't guarantee you uh, three votes, and I don't know what does. That's criminal. I think Lee Matthews had a game where did he kick eleven of thirty nine or something ridiculous. So anyway, Tom Papley's on Lee Matthews' company, but he was unbelievable the other night. Uh, now, what is your snap, Sarah? Yeah, I'm just looking across yeah. and you're going to say, you know, ask me. My Sunday snap and kind of going to team with the theme of the small forward mm. and go from Tom Papley 
to Cody Waitman. And I don't know the Bulldogs, mm. they didn't get the win last night, but he just brings another dynamic to that forward line. It was his first game for the season. He kicks the four goals. He just gets up so high as well and he creates so much excitement. And there's been so much talk around the Bulldogs forward line and the talls. Well, they're a better forward line when he is crumbing at their feet and he just brings so much energy. And I think like Tom Papley, he has the ability to to go into centre stoppages as well. So, Josh, he is my Sunday snap. I love that. He looked. Uh, they looked alive with him last night, didn't they? Uh, the the dogs. I think his was it his first touch was a big hanger on the uh, <laughs> yeah. on the half forward flank, and it was a sign of things to come. Yeah, he he and Papley are very similar, aren't they? They play the game a little bit differently, but both have uh, maximum value for disposal. All right, Josh. I'm after your Sunday snap. Well, I think we're going to speak about this a lot, and it's it was impossible for me to go past because we don't hear it often, but. Ken Hinckley's words in the post-match will only add fuel and heat to the Jason Horn francis conversation because of the way he left North Melbourne, the attention that he receives, bad but also good, and I don't think either helps, the way that he plays and the way that we are viewing the way he plays and the way he's perceived. Uh, I think the conversation is only going to be intensified, particularly as we look to break down what Ken Hinckley said and whether it's fair and whether it was warranted. But it, um, it's a scenario that's not going to quieten down. As much as people ask for it to quieten down, it's just not going to quieten down. Well, let's hear from the man himself, Port Adelaide coach Ken Hinckley, last night. Oh, no, same as it was about Todd, about any of the young players or any player out there who... Um who had some challenges. I mean, Jason Horn francis is 19. Some part of it's really annoying me about the way people are treating him. It's annoying me. Um, he's never going to play four quarters every week. He's 19-year-old. If you're treating my 19-year-old son the way some people treated, have treated him, I'd be embarrassed by my, by my performance if I was those people. I think it's been really unfair. The kid made a courageous decision to come home. Let the kid play footy. He's 19. Is that... The doing you're talking about tonight. I'm talking about lots of things. I'm talking about people who write stories every week, talk stories every week, and I'm talking about the treatment that they gave him at times tonight without making a big deal of it. The kid's trying, he's giving his best. It's 19. Stop treating him like he's 28 and treat the kid with some respect. And I tell you what, some people who put pressure on kids in this game need to have a good hard look at themselves. Hmm? Has he been affected by it? No, great, great credit to him. Great credit to him. He, he just wants to play good footy. He's happy being home. Good on him. You'd love to have Ken Hinckley in your corner as a player, wouldn't you, Josh? Because those comments, those remarks, they were pretty stinging and pretty pointed. But I also think pretty fair, given the fact that last night Jason Horn francis wasn't playing against North Melbourne, the side he left. He was playing against the Western Bulldogs and getting booed. But despite all that in the last quarter, he was one of the reasons that Port Adelaide got over the line. He was. I guess that speaks to the, the – I guess with Gather Round, the neutral, there was a lot more neutrals in the house than than there typically would be. Yeah, I, I know the commenter, uh, the commentators from Seven were quite stunned at the first time he received – or he, he – um, Got possession of the footy and was and was booed and it took them you know thirty it took Matthew Richardson thirty seconds to sort of get his hang on we're in Adelaide what's yeah. going on here so I don't really that's and that's why with you know my Sunday snap I think you know, highlighting it I'm not saying it's wrong but it is only going to add fuel to the fire that's just the way some you know that sort of gang mentality in a sense where people want to jump on the back of of a, of a situation, but you're right. His last quarter was was incredible. He was one of the main reasons that Port Adelaide won the game. I think a number of things can be true here. 
at one time, Sarah. Mm-hmm. So it is true that Jason Horn Francis objectively doesn't deserve to be booed by Western Bulldogs or neutral supporters. He hasn't done anything wrong to them. It is also true that as a number one pick, you are inherently under more pressure than what you would be as a number 30 or number 40 pick. Now, it's not his fault he was picked number one, Josh, but nevertheless, mm. as a number one pick, as high picks have felt in the past, they are under the microscope more than others. I think it's true as well that if you leave a club after one year, you're probably um, going against the traditional values of loyalty that you know a, a traditional football fan would hold dear to them. Um, but what is also true is that Jason Horn francis as a player, uh, is exceeding expectations for most 19-year-olds, regardless of the draft pick. He was excellent mm. late last night. And the, the fact that Ken Hinckley went into bat for him, I just wonder what the end game is for Ken Hinckley there. I agree that it, it looks really good for Ken Hinckley and it makes him seem like he's protecting his players. But does it amplify the issue? And if the issue is amplified, yep. how does it stop? Now, we don't uh, – booing takes many forms. And we spoke about it about three weeks ago, Josh, on this show with Scott Lucas, trying to work out why he was being booed. I actually just think that some people boo because others are booing. I'm not sure there's any great rhyme or reason to it. But I just wonder whether Ken Hinckley speaking about it will make it more of an issue than what it otherwise would have or whether it had become such an issue that now he has to try to break it down and have a circuit breaker of some sort. I think he clearly believes that it's got to a point where he needed to step in. And you know, and that's on the back of a win too. You know, coaches, as you guys would know better than I, coaches after a win, sometimes able to really harness their emotions and, and be a little bit more measured. If that was a loss, and you'd certainly understand Hinkley, you know, sort of blowing his top in a sense. But even, you know, our very own, the attention that Kane Corns has given this young man, I've been of the opinion all the way, it doesn't help. It only because there are enough people who, who want to go back and forth with Kane so Kane, by extension, Kane sticking up for him and Kane dressing up like Jason Horn Francis and carrying on about this, that and the other, that doesn't help either. That actually makes it worse as well, even though Kane thinks he's sticking up for him and getting behind him. But by extension, I believe he's, he's not assisting the situation. I'm not entirely sure that Ken Hinckley's words weren't, weren't um, aimed in the direction of Kane Corns as well. Interesting. Not just people who have been slagging him. Yeah, okay. And uh, I've seen footage on television shows of people uh, criticising his defensive work as well. My question to you, Josh, is should we treat 19-year-olds differently to 28-year-olds in the AFL system as analysts, as experts, as journalists? Yes, because they don't understand. A lot of them don't understand the defensive elements of the game. It takes them... They, they get drafted because they're um, um, unbelievable around stoppage uh, or they can take high marks or they know where the goals are or you know they can do great things with the ball in hand and when the ball is in their team's uh, possession. None of these players get drafted because they're great run-with players or they're great defensive-minded midfielders or they're great defensive forwards. None of the kids get drafted because of those uh, factors. They all have to be taught that part of the game. So in that sense, I, th- I think they should be immune from... From, from those elements where they don't transition defensively. If they dead set don't try on defense, mm. then that's certainly uh, up for debate and should be shown. But when it's just uh, there's a difference between someone not having a go when you don't have the ball versus someone not necessarily understanding what it takes and how hard you have to work. And that's what I saw in him live last year. He just didn't understand what the game asked of you the whole time. Underage footy, SNFL footy, you get opportunities to say, I'm going to take a break from the game. Uh, you know, I, I can be 100 metres from the ball and not be engaged in the game. The AFL doesn't allow you to do that. And that takes young players, including Jason Horn Francis, a long time to work out. 
I guess with this conversation around whether or not to call out the booing, it's it's similar as to whether or not to call out trolls on social media, whether that be racism or, or sexism or what have you. I'm of the opinion that it is better to call it out because I think if you just let something go by, you are complicit to an extent. And, and I actually really liked Ken Hinckley, firstly, backing in his player on the field as soon as the siren went, yep. he went straight up to Jason Horn Francis. He was very close in his grill, but I think he was, you know, it was one of those moments between coach and player, which was clearly very important to both of them. And then to go to the press conference, Tom, and to call it out and to put it on the agenda and people's radar again, hence why we're talking about it. I actually think it's a good thing because it might start more conversations around booing and when it is and isn't appropriate. And I'm not sure about this pack mentality of just piling on the one player. Like, but you don't exist, Aren't, we, aren't we smarter than that, though? Aren't we smarter than that as a footy public? Or are we not? No, no categorically not. No, footy no. fans get into a into a mode or into a um, into a situation. And, and this is across sports, not just footy fans, where it becomes a pack mentality. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but Josh, you would have felt it on the footy field before. I think lots mm. of footy fans and lots of sports fans don't think. They just jump on board what others are doing, whether it's right or wrong. And we saw it to the nth degree in a much worse way than yes. what Jason Horn francis is copying with Adam Goods about a decade ago. And, mm. and, that, and, and only recently in the last couple of years has the AFL come out and apologised for that and, and said they got that wrong. Um, but footy fans can be brutal, Josh. And just because he's 19 or 23 or 25, they don't really care. If, if others are booing, they'll, they'll jump on board. Yeah. yeah, I agree with that. And he look, he's not the first. Cam Rayner has gone through this probably up until the last you know month or so where he's had a couple of really strong games. Jacob Wiedering in his early days was really heavily criticised. Jack Watts is probably the... Almost the the pioneer in if that's it's not the right boy. term, but in in that sense because he was absolutely crucified in his first couple of seasons in a poorly performed Melbourne team. So he's not the first player. And the reality is, you've got to remember, Jason Horn Francis, like any player, has seventeen groups of fans who don't barrack for him, who don't yeah. like him, who don't want him to succeed. They're a lot louder than the, than the Port Adelaide fans who who really want him to do well. And this and the I guess the 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 tiny amount of fans who are sensible enough to look at a young player and say, oh. Love what he's doing. I want to be vocal about what he's doing. I think as well, just sometimes people need to put themselves in, in someone else's shoes, as I would have liked to have done this weekend. I would like to be in Adelaide and I <laughs> want to focus on Gather Round and the success that at least I think it's been from afar from watching here in Victoria. I'm absolutely loving what I'm seeing, Tom. Sarah, Gather Round is a stroke of genius from the AFL. We know it's based loosely on the NRL's magic round. So we're not saying that they've made that up. And the NRL has got that from overseas ideas as well. I'm sure Josh is more aware of that than I am. But the news around Gather Round is that the government over there wants four more years. They want to have it till the end of 2026. 2026. Um, and they're ready to lock that in as soon as possible. Um, that They're clearly in the box seat after what's happened. But the AFL, I'm told this morning, isn't quite yet to lock it in for that length of deal. However, I would think it's very unlikely that it'll be anywhere else but Adelaide next year. But wasn't that the whole premise of Gather Round, that it was meant to be this travelling show that potentially could go to WA next and then yeah, I th- well, Sydney could host it and then Queensland? Certainly the view from the AFL is they need to build it up and make it a rock-solid product before it goes to New South Wales and Queensland, Josh. Yeah, no doubt. I, um, I think I, I spoke to someone yesterday um, who, who said it felt very, very similar to the Sydney Olympics. Now that's you know that's as big a, an event we've it's had. A massive it call. was someone who 
someone who who knows their stuff too. Uh, <laughs> one of our very fine broadcasters. So. Um, that only heightened my jealousy, I might add. But I agree. I think they should build it. And, and I heard the Premier of uh, South Australia last night say that they felt like they had a short run-up for this and a short runway. And if given 12 months and given four years, I guess, they'd be able to really go to town on, on making it an extravaganza. But on the on the river, you guys have been to Adelaide Oval enough. It's a great setting there with, with better weather, hopefully, next year. Imagine the things they can do. Perth would be great as well. Would be absolutely great. But I think even that ability for people to drive from Melbourne to Adelaide, you know, I think Jared Whiteley su- suggested that so many people would be in Melbourne thinking, oh, we thought about this, but we weren't mm. sure how good it was going to be. They are locked and loaded for next year to jump in the car. So I, I think give Adelaide the opportunity to build it and then start to move it. And that actually is a really good point, Josh, because when you think about who is travelling to Adelaide, it is predominantly Victorians much more expensive to get across to Perth. So I wonder if, if that's a factor as well. It surely would be a factor. And I'm told that there's almost 200 people that have come from in, uh, outside of Australia to go to gather around as well, which is quite amazing. <laughs> wow. it's, it's, um, hence the Olympics vibe. Hence the Olympics vibe. That's right. <laughs> Unfortunately, go. no Kathy Freeman or Ian Thorpe. <laughs> but... Uh, so South Australia wants to lock it in for four years, but to do that, they need to have a commitment from the AFL because they want to have games, and Sarah, this is right up your alley, mm-hmm. in the Barossa Valley, in Ooh. McLaren Vale, and, and actually build stadiums there or um, I guess build infrastructure that would allow it to host AFL games. I mean, this 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 match at um, this 50th AFL ground yesterday in, in Mount Barker, is that Mount what it's called? Barker, yeah, yeah. Yes. Mount yep. Barker, 7,329 people. That venue was transformed, Josh. I'm not sure if you've ever been there. In five months, $2.5 million of funding. And the South Australian Premier's point is, imagine what we could do if we had a 12-month lead-in and four years to get it right. Adelaide could host this host this gather-round for a very long time to come. Um, and it makes the AFL lots of money as well. I mean, all 18 clubs have been given about half a, half a million dollars. Some of that money goes into the salary cap. Some of it goes into the soft cap. Um, either way, everyone benefits from it. The South Australia yeah, no Premier, doubt. he's very smart, isn't he? Just putting, pushing his case forward very mm. early, Josh. Yes, he's uh, he's done a good job. He's very uh, he's personable. He's unlike most politicians, isn't he? He actually seems he seems like a human. <laughs> so, one hundred ninety thousand tickets were sold for the round. Sixty thousand to non South Australians. Um, it, it, it's quite an incredible situation that's 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 taken place. My question to you, Sarah and Josh, is what other innovations can the AFL do that can launch off this gather round? Could they have an AFLW gather round? Could they have another weekend maybe in July in the school holidays where they could go to Sydney or Brisbane or Perth in future years? This whole travelling roadshow type um, phenomenon that has gripped the sporting world. We see it happening with cricket tournaments and, of course, tennis majors and golf majors and Olympics and World Cups. Um, the AFL proved to itself, Josh, in 2020 that it can do a lot more logistically than what it thought it could. And I just wonder where they can take it from here. Where else? Where, the sky's the limit, isn't it? It is. It does ask, and you know, I guess I'm privy to this behind the scenes, it does ask a lot of, of, of staff. It asks a lot of those behind the scenes. And I'm talking about you know people who have to drive trucks full of gear and load trucks up and travel on planes. It asks a lot of those people. And I, th- I heard you mention the $500,000. 
uh, you know, the players benefit and the club's bottom line, I guess, benefits, mm. but it doesn't really filter down enough to those people behind the scenes. I'm talking about welfare officers and those types of people who really have to grind and, and just put in an extra 50 hours work for not much in return. So it's the sky's the limit on that front, but they'll really have to make sure that the, the minute details and making sure their people are getting looked after. It may help, though, in getting another forward to kick 100 goals if we added a few more rounds in, Tom. Imagine that. That'd be great. <laughs> Dwayne, <laughs> Russell, <laughs> Dwayne Russell put that on the agenda in round two on, um, on Midday Madness, on, on, on well, Dwayne's world. He Jeremy said, Cameron, he's averaging 4.5 goals at the moment. So if you get the calculator out... Yeah, he's on, the, he's on he's track. He's on track right now. I'd love a goal. I'd love a bloke to kick 100 goals. I can't wait to talk to Josh about Jeremy Cameron and Geelong later on, actually, because, I mean, I spoke about the most watchable player in the AFL, Tom Papley. Jeremy Cameron's not far right from that. Right up there. I think he'd be my number one at the moment, of course. The Cats to meet the Eagles today. But up next, we're going to unpack the Lions' win over the Roos. It was a big one. Award-winning crunch time for Azito Power Tools, German design quality and innovation powering DIYers all day, every day. Lockie Neal, excellent pick up one hand, kicks to the top of the goal square, Rayner's there, out the back, it fell to Rayner, Hipwood got the handball out to Darcy Wilmot, close to the boundary line, he swings around on the right boot, he's pulled this back, there's the goal of the day! Darcy Wilmot, freakish goal from the pocket, Welcome back to Crunch Time for Ozito, powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. Well, as you heard there, it was the Lions far too strong for North Melbourne, 22-21-46 to 12-5-77. Tom, in every sense of the word, this was a good old-fashioned thumping in the Adelaide Hills. I watched every minute of this game, Sarah. And North Melbourne, it was incredible actually, Josh, because for the first probably 25 minutes, there was no behinds. I think it was 10 straight goals, both teams going goal for goal, and then Brisbane just turned it on and um, and their key forwards were dominant. Joe Danaher as well. And yes, he's, uh, yes. He's, he's actually a pretty good year aside from one Thursday night game, which probably proves, Josh, and you would have felt this as well as a player, that you're under the microscope more on, mm. the, uh, on the games where there's more viewers and clearly when you don't perform on a Thursday night match... You're in trouble. You're in trouble. But he's actually had a reasonable year. He was very good yesterday. Yeah, he has. He chose a bad night to have a bad night. That's <laughs> what he did a couple of weeks ago. He, he's he's a mercurial. The, the Lions have a, a forward line stacked with mercurial players. Um, they're they they're more good than they are bad. But they're sealed. We spoke about this last week. They they can fluctuate a lot. But when things are going well and the ball movement's good and the midfield's getting their share of 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 opportunity, then they can look as good as there is in the competition. And they probably are as good as there is in the competition as a, as a forward six. They're all different. They're all. Uh, athletic, they're all exciting, they can all jump up and take a mark and they can all kick a goal at grand level and um, well done to Joe Danner because we piled on him uh, well I didn't, I tried to look <laughs> after him but most people piled on him uh, after his poor performance a couple of weeks ago but as you said uh, Tom, he's been really good and uh, we we uh, and this is very much linked in with our conversation about Jason Horn Francis Sarah, we, we, we want to be we're, we're far uh, more happy to be louder when they play poorly than we are loud when they play well. So all power to Joe Danaher, equaling his career five best goals. He also took 13 marks, and as you said, Eric the Eel, Hipwood, he kicked four. Are we worried that the bubble has burst, Tom, for the Kangaroos because the Lions scored 116 points from turnovers, and at times it looked like they were just moving the ball with Will, and they'd look up and they'd be coming down the corridor and they'd have three or four targets that were unmanned. 
uh, the bubble burst. I mean, there's always going to be a little sugar hit early in the season, yeah. Josh, but and Sarah. Mm. But I am, um, I, I still think that the North Melbourne Footy Club's in a far better position than it was 12 months ago, and they're going to have results where they where they lose and they lose badly because they're young. But I think fundamentally they're still heading in the right direction, and I, I don't think yesterday's result changes that. It, albeit, it would be frustrating to be a North Melbourne supporter and see some good performances and then see that yesterday. Yeah, no doubt. But as you said, and as we spoke about before the break, young players pick up the defensive side of the game the slowest. And that's what happened yesterday. We saw young players. It results in Griffin Loic having to press 100 metres and, and, and have no opportunity to, to, to prevent a goal. And it, and it, and it results in Aidan Corr being left 1v3 inside forward 50. But that's they're the elements of the game that are going to break down the quickest and they're going to be the most dramatic for young teams. And that's what North Melbourne experienced. And and, and a team like Brisbane, when they're up and going, they are as potent as anyone. They will make you pay when you make those defensive mistakes quicker than anyone. But it's no real surprise, is it? I mean, even their, their loss to Carlton, they were they were handle, handled for the most part, but they showed signs of life at different stages in that game. Um, the loss to Hawthorne was, was probably pretty average. But look, a 70-point loss to Brisbane doesn't really surprise me. It, it, it is about where they're at. You know those phrases in the footy media that get thrown around every year. And, and, um, Such and, and, as? Well, a couple of years ago, everyone started talking about that that's te- that's that team or that player's one wood. Yes. And the one at the moment, Josh, I'm listening to every press conference, I'm hearing what players say, and they're all talking about how connected clubs are <laughs> and how connected we are as a playing group, how connected we are as a, as a coaching group. And Chris Fagan said it yesterday in his press conference. He said the best teams are the most connected teams. Um can you tell us what this actually means and how tangible it is within the four walls of a club? Um, I think there's two elements to it. And, and you know, we chased this for you know, 2017 was, was, I guess, the difference maker for Richmond was seen to be how, how in sync and how connected they were. Um, and we chased this for a couple of years. And you, you talk about you know, sharing stories about how you were um, brought up and your family situation and things you love. And even, you know, I think Richmond went down the path of you know, bringing things into the club that meant a lot to them. And so that, I guess that, that emotional connection is, is, is one element to it. But then the on-field, and, and, and that's why you do the off-field stuff so that it translates on-field. And I think if you understand and learn about someone more and more and more, then you'll understand why they behave in certain ways. Instead of, you know, you might talk to someone and they don't give you much and you think, oh, geez, they're a bit sour. But mm-hmm. they might be going through something at, the, at that stage that you don't know about. Or if you share that and you understand more about each other and you can be a bit more understanding. And instead of you saying, oh, he's sour, I don't want to have anything to do with him, you say, well, how can I help you? And then naturally you form a bit of a bond off the back of that. But it's not easy to do those sorts of things. We saw the Giants, uh, I think that was the uh, that was the premise behind the uh, Rice separating, was it not, in the preseason when they separated the Rice. That was yeah. my understanding of it was for them to connect, for them to get get closer. And, and Adam Kingsley from that Richmond uh, model where they did those types of things to get together. On the field, connectivity is, and, and I've experienced this positively and negatively, is you can easily, when you're not playing well, well, the forwards are doing their thing. We're not getting enough supply. The backs are too loose. They're not manning up, and we're not getting enough of a look at. That's how you can really fragment. So the connectivity is just those three um, areas of the of the ground really being in sync, and not necessarily forwards, mids, and backs. We're 18 players on offense, and we're 18 players on defense. I'm all about the vulnerability factor, but how would you go separating rice? I think that would absolutely <laughs> do my head in. <laughs> well, it's just bizarre. I mean, some of these clubs, they find some really unusual ways to find that connectivity 
Ritchie that you've spoken about. Um, we saw it on, on a couple of the Amazon documentaries as well. Mm. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it works one week and doesn't work another week. We're going to talk about Melbourne at some point, I'm sure. And it, that was so connected on the field versus the Swans, Sarah, where we're at that game. We and were, then, yes. then yesterday against Essendon, they looked completely disconnected. So I can imagine it can fragment from week to week as well. Well, it can. It's and it's not a. It's it's not just this. Um, it's not MJ secret stuff. It doesn't always. You got to keep chipping away at it, and you got to work away at it, and you've got to be consistent with it. And there's, you know, part of it is, is is really. It's a hard thing to learn. It's a it's a skill to learn to be as happy for someone else's success as you are for your own. That's just not mm. natural. If you want to mm. be. If you want to be honest about it, you know, am I going to kick a goal or is Sarah going to kick a goal? Well, I'd probably prefer to kick a goal myself if I'm going to be absolutely honest. I hope she kicks a few as well, but I'd rather kick a few myself. That's just human nature. That's part of what clubs are trying to instill in players is if I kick it to you and you kick a goal, we both feel good. If I kick the goal myself, only I feel good and you're not in the game. So that's part of the teaching that that clubs are trying to um, implement. But it's not easy. I'm sure you haven't seen Sarah's right boot. It's pretty lethal. Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. Kick it a long way. I like it. Got a well, good um, we'll reverse sweep as well. <laughs> yes, you've got a great reverse sweep, actually. <laughs> Let's move on, though, to the other game that was on Saturday afternoon, and it was the Bombers. They were simply far too good to the Ds, winning by 27 points at Adelaide Oval, and this was a disappointed Simon Goodwin after the match. Oh, the best way I can sum it up, it wasn't us. You know, it just didn't look like us as a team. You know, our ability to work and our ability to win contests. And, you know, we, we know we play our best foot in a contest pressure type of game, but that wasn't us today. And you've got to give Essendon credit. You know, that's a, it's a tough, ruthless competition that we live in. And, you know, sides are on the up and Essendon's one of those sides. And, you know, they were cleaner, they were harder and they won more critical contests. So Josh, Simon Goodwin there saying it just wasn't us. And I thought yep. sitting at home on the couch watching that game, I picked up on that in the first five to ten minutes. It just didn't look like a Demons game, did it? That's those I hadn't heard that before. And those, um, uh, I don't uh, watch uh, every press conference, Tom, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> I don't. Uh, <laughs> I'll do that for I, us. I it's all good. A, <laughs> I, I listened to a few. But it, uh, Simon Goodwin saying that's not us. That's what Michael Voss would have said. That, and that. And that is, and this is why, you know, I'm a big one for let's not be prisoners of the moment. Let's judge teams over two and three and four and eight weeks, to be honest, because there are there are 15 or 16 teams who, when they come together, I don't care what the market says and the head-to-heads and the history, if, you, if you're a little bit off, you'll get beaten. And that's what we saw. Essendon turned up, ready to rock and roll. Adelaide turned up, ready to go. Carlton were a bit off. Melbourne were, were a bit off favoured teams get beaten and that's the competition we've got and we should be absolutely pumped about that. I completely agree. The equalisation of the competition is as strong as it's ever been or as equal as it's ever been, isn't it? I mean, really, I would say the vast majority of teams can beat the vast majority of other teams on their day and we've seen that already this season. Um, There's only one unbeaten team at the moment, that's St Kilda, that could change today if Collingwood defeat them and every team has won a game and it's only round five and that was also the case at round four that every team had won a game. But if we're going to celebrate Essendon for a moment, Josh, um, their scalp so far this year were Hawthorne, Gold Coast, Um, they had a three-goal loss to the Saints, they beat the Giants, they really needed someone or a team that was challenging for a flag and they came ready to play yesterday and they were too good for Melbourne from the very first bounce, really. Um, It's just once in 77 games before yesterday 
the Demons had conceded 100 points. And Essendon did it easily yesterday. And their rucks did it as well. And in the wet as well. Yeah, Andrew Phillips turned into Dean Cox for two hours. It's incredible <laughs> to watch. It was. It was quite remarkable. They got five goals from their from their rucks. And, you know, um, called their game against Gold Coast. And they played the two rucks. And I sort of thought, oh, I don't know whether this mm. is sustainable. And I still don't think it probably is, to be honest. But... Until they get Peter Wright back, they've probably got no choice but to play the two rucks. And if they can get goals, I think one or two is a really good result from them. If you if you factor in the you know the big target that, that, that the ruckman playing in the forward line can provide. But I love the fact that even though Melbourne were a bit off, it was still a, a win under some duress. Melbourne still won the clearances, you know, uh, by ten. Uh, they were really dominant in the centre bounce clearances. Melbourne, they won by six. So immediately, Essendon on the back foot. Centre bounce clearances are so crucial. So it was a win where, where Essendon went under a bit of duress. And if you had said to me, look, it's going to be really wet. It's going to be slippery. I would have said, well, Oliver and Petrarca and Grundy, they're going to take over. But Essendon just found a way. And we haven't been able to say that about Essendon for, for, uh, or too often for, for the last past few years. So could not give them enough credit. You mentioned Clayton Oliver there, Josh. What did you make of the Will Setterfield tag on him? Because at quarter time, he only had two touches, Clary, but he finished with 41. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's the hardest player in the game to tag, to be honest, because... He, um, he, uh, Matthew Egan, who who works down at the Cats, was at Melbourne for a period of time. He, just, he said he's just a, he's just a big animal who's hungry to get the ball, and that's what he is. He's a monster. He's got a haircut to, to suit his game style. He just wants to get <laughs> after the ball. And Will Setterfield's uh, a big guy himself. He did a good job on Took Miller a, a few weeks ago, but. Oliver's just—he's just an animal around the ball. He's so hard to tag because he's got one focus: it's to go and get the ball. You can't shift him off the line he wants to to uh, to run on. So I think Setterfield met his match yesterday in Clayton Oliver. He did a good job for thirty minutes, but the uh, the next ninety minutes were all one-way traffic. Essendon doing a fantastic job. They were one and six after seven rounds last year. Since then, they've got a new captain, a new president. They're on their second CEO <laughs> since then as well. Um, and their their club's moving in the right direction. They'd love to win a final this year. They know that. Their fans know that. But they couldn't have done much more after five rounds to reset the direction of the football club. And what it does do is set up this mouth-watering Anzac Day clash against Collingwood. I mean, I wonder what the record crowd is for an Anzac Day match because these are two teams. One is going to enter at four and one in Essendon and Collingwood, if they win this afternoon, will also be four and one. So both supporter groups, Tom, that are absolutely up and about. It does make for a very exciting contest at the day. It does. Yeah, Anzac Day is huge. I mean, it's a long break for both teams now as well. I just want to ask you, Josh, on the Demons. So they played in Perth on Sunday, took a red-eye home, 6am Monday they landed. They fought at Adelaide on Thursday. Simon Goodwin conceded that maybe they could have done things differently if they had their time again. Um, easy in hindsight. How much does this have an impact on the freshness of a group? A short break and a couple of plane trips? I think it's a challenge. Uh, Fremantle went straight to Adelaide, didn't know that, and go mm. home from, from there previous game. So yeah, certainly it would have been um, a bit of a task. It just would have really upended not because of the shortness of the break. It just would have really upended their week. They would have had a really disjointed week, a week where you, know, you get home, you, do, you you take the red eye. They would have been encouraged to try and stay awake uh, on that uh, on that next day so that they could have a proper night's sleep the following night. Then they wouldn't have done much the next day. And then all of a sudden, we fly tomorrow. So 
um, it would have been a disjointed week. And that's, you know, again, that's why I'd never crucify a team for one performance. If they serve it up three or four times a month, then you can start to get on their back. But give them a pass for sure. Just by the way, 94,825 attended. Oh, that's in danger. 95 Anzac Day when Savrocker won the medal. It was a draw. Yeah, it was a draw. So get on down to the G, Bomber and Pies fans. It would be fun to smash that. Now, the Bombers fans are certainly up and about, but Tom's got some MRO news that may concern their skipper, Zach Merritt. We'll get up to that and more after the break. McDelivery has arrived on the My Macca's app. For a limited time, grab a free... On Crunch Time, the Newswhip with Tom Morris. Jeez. Oh, a bit of a country flavour to it. <laughs> Thank you, Eddie, for that. What are your thoughts on that little stinger, Josh? Um, I hope you didn't spend too much time on it. <laughs> that wasn't me. I don't have the te- technical skills for that, but I do say well done to Eddie for well, putting that together. Well, let's kick it off with Zach Merritt. We flagged this before mm. the break. Is he going to be in trouble, the Essendon skipper at the MRO? Well, in a weekend of really minimal MRO issues, this seems to be the only one so far. I think he's got a case to answer. Um and if you put this through the matrix, there's a dangerous tackle on Tom Sparrow very late in the game against Melbourne. Uh, and if you look at what happened to Will Day, um, and if you look at what happened in other inc- what's happened in other incidents over the course of the season, I think this will be graded as careless. That's pretty obvious. Um, I think it's, it's clearly high contact because his head makes contact with the ground. And then it's whether it's low impact or medium impact. And medium impact would equal a week. And I'm leaning towards that. I think Zach Merritt is more than likely going to be offered a week by the MRO today. And when that happens, they'll have to decide whether to challenge it. And I also think it's very challengeable to get it down to low impact because um, because Tom Sparrow wasn't injured. But as we saw last week, and we'll talk to Simon Lloyd about it a bit later yeah. on with Gary Rowan, it's very hard to get off on these dangerous tackles. Josh, have you seen the incident? And, and how would you assess the uh, the danger of it? Uh, I've seen it. Thanks, Ben Lyon. Um, <laughs> I oh, I don't know the broadcast vision. I think well, yeah, there's, yep. that's that's a week, and then there's a replay where you can, the players have sort of got their chests toward you, and and I think oh, it's not as forceful as it as it looks, but it's it's so tricky because I, I certainly um, am, am am almost in the David King um, yep. space of just anything head related. Let's some players are going to get suspended for the greater good, and that might be the case here, but it's it's. It's not easy to get a very powerful AFL player to the ground in a light and protective manner. Like, mm. So I, I can see both sides of the situation. I think it probably, I agree, it probably results in a week, particularly when you bring the matrix into things. Yep. Um, it's probably one of those ones where I think he may not deserve to get a week for it, but for the greater good and for where we're trying to get to, he probably ends up getting a week. And it has implications clearly for Anzac Day, but also the Brownlow medals. Zach Merritt would be one of the favourites mm. for that too. Um, probably working in Zach Merritt's favour favour here is the fact that Sparrow has his arms free, albeit he's holding onto the ball, uh, which is different to the incidents last week where, let's say, close for Geelong was in a more vulnerable position when Will Day tackled him there. Um, but I'd be surprised if he didn't get a week. I'd also be very surprised if Essa didn't challenge it. So he could go through this whole process again. Can I ask what what's... So what's Merritt's alternative? So you, the key factor is... Uh, the Melbourne player's got the ball in his possession, yeah. so Merritt can't let go of the tackle because he's still got the ball and he'll 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 dispose of the ball. So that's where I side with the player a little bit and say, well, I don't know what other um, option he has. You can say, well, not 
to forcefully take him to ground, but he won't be able to get him to ground otherwise. Yeah. So that's where it's a, it's so hard for the players and for the people trying to grade these. Yeah, they, they talk about a duty of care. So um, is there a big rotation? Is the player that's being tackled in a vulnerable position? And clearly arms free makes it less vulnerable, albeit not completely non-vulnerable. Mm. Um, and is there excessive force? Uh, th- this is right on the borderline, but um, I yep. think what we've learned so far this year is that they err on the side of protecting the head and therefore it will be a week for Zach Merritt if it goes that way. Certainly one to watch over the next 24 hours. Thomas, spate of injuries across the weekend. Let's go from one captain to another, North Melbourne's Jai Simpkin. He was subbed out of the match with a finger injury. What's the latest? Yeah, he's got a broken finger. We thought initially it might be a broken hand. That was in the second term, but it's a broken finger. He'll have surgery Monday, Josh, and it remains to be seen how long he'll miss for that. Um, There's broken fingers and there's broken fingers. I'd imagine some players play a week or two after. There's some players that miss several weeks. Regardless, it's a big blow for North Melbourne because he's such an important player for them. Yeah, I, I think I think the scarring and, and those types of things plays as much of a factor as anything. It's better than a, a tendon. I've had a tendon uh, reattached, and they can take a long time. They take a you know a couple of months to be honest. You can't sweat and all these types of things. So hopefully it is just a, a, a straight break, and yeah, he may be back in a couple of weeks. The D's were missing Jake Lever yesterday. Tom, is he going to be available for the Anzac Day on the Anzac Day Eve clash? They are hopeful, Melbourne. It was a short break, as we said before, a six-day break. So we're not quite quite sure um, how that will impact the next week. But they're hopeful that Lever will be available with an ankle, Hibbard with an Achilles, and Ben Brown was a late withdrawal with a back. Our good friend and AFL.com today, you colleague Josh Gablich, spotted Ben Brown doing a fitness test before the game Gorn, yes. with Max Corn, and he was, he was a late withdrawal. So uh, Simon Goodwin said they're all chances to come back in for Anzac Day Eve. A nine-day break helps, and he's confident with most of them they'll be right to go. Um, you'd say that not having Jake Lever really impacted the way Melbourne were able to defend yesterday, Josh. Yeah, no doubt. He's And Max Gorn as well. Max Gorn is a little bit underrated in their team defence and the way he can get from one side of the ground to the other and help the long down the line contest. So some important players, but don't rush them back. Just bring them back when they're, when they're good and ready. You want them you know, wound up in two months, not two weeks. Now, I was quite aghast when I saw that Dane Rampier joined both McCartans, Tom, as outs in yes. their game against the Tigers on Friday night. And there's been some, I guess, uh, additional players onto the injury list now because Joel Amati, who came out with all of this kind of alpha forward energy and kicked <laughs> two goals, and then you just saw him limping off and grabbing at his hamstring, and he's got, an, he's got a history with hamstring, yeah, doesn't so he? Yeah, that's his left hammy. The good news is it's not the same hammy as he did, as he did in January. Is that good? Well, I don't know, actually. He's done, it's his fourth hammy no, that he's done not. in a short space of time, so it's probably not good, actually, come to think of it. Um, so, <laughs> Amadi with a hamstring. Um, they expect Dane Rampey and Tom McCartan to come back into face Geelong, uh, and Buddy's no certainty with knee, knee swelling. The way he did it was not good. The way – he was just running. Mm. Yeah. You can understand it if he was kicking and overstrided or, or had been pushed in the back or, you know, went to take off, but he was just running. He was in his running motion. That's – um. That's a concern, and it'd be a bit of a mental battle for him too, wouldn't it? Because you've had this injury a fair few times. I haven't never done a hamstring, but I'd imagine once you've done it a few times, you'd spend a bit of time running around thinking, "When's it going to go?" Never done a hamstring. No, never done. Never done a soft tissue. Just never ran fast enough. There you go, Superman over there. And Tom, this news with <laughs> loving it with the new sting and everything you're bringing. But we're going to finish on West Coast. There's oh, a few issues emanating out of that camp, not least of which is that their reserves team 
lost by 169 points yesterday. To West oh Perth. Admittedly, the reigning premiers in the waffle, but 34-13, 217, Josh, to 7-6, was the score. So oh just six <laughs> West Coast-listed players were available. Um, the one that was most notable was Elijah Hewitt, pick 14 in last year's draft, went down with an ankle injury early in the game, uh, and quite a serious one. I'm told as well. So Harry Edwards was withdrawn from the AFL emergency list after scans revealed a fracture wow, in the weird. wrist. Then they got injured players: Luke Shuey, McGovern, Cripps, Cole, Ryan, Dom Sheed, Nick Nat. They're in the world. They're in a world of hurt at the moment. The Eagles, both the seniors and the Waffle team. Well, it's not getting any easier because today their seniors they come up against the reigning premiers in Geelong. Cats jam of footy. Simon Lloyd, our special guest, in the next hour. Hello and welcome back to Crunch Time for Azito, powering DIYers all day, every day at Bunnings. And a very warm welcome if you are joining us for the first time in this second hour all around the country. Sarah Ollie here with Tom Morris and Josh Jenkins. We've got a lot to unpack this morning and we're going to get into all the big talking points. The Dons stunning the Ds, the success of Gather Round, the booing of Jason Horn Francis. Plus, we'll preview today's games with Cats GM of footy Simon Lloyd to join us this hour. But first, Josh Jenkins, it's time for the Sunday Sermon. Now, it's time for the Sunday Sermon on Crunch Time. Hallelujah. <laughs> Josh, you did that yourself, wow. didn't you? Hallelujah. Wow. Hey. Oh, I, I, uh, I've got even less uh, technological skills than you, Tom. <laughs> Let's uh, hook in the first, hopefully not the last, Sunday sermon. <laughs> well, the masses gathered round to witness Gather Round and the hometown Adelaide Crows kick-started what looks to be a lock in future calendars by blowing the Blues off the park in 20 minutes of barnstorming football. Less than 24 hours later, the Suns did what the Suns have been doing, looking good for 80 minutes and then getting overrun by fresher and deeper opponents as Fremantle pulled a crucial win from some smouldering ashes. Richmond's reign looks officially over, but what a reign of terror it's been. Injuries will stop anyone. Just ask Damien Hardwick and these Tigers. But conversely, Sydney found a way when their soldiers dropped like flies last week, during the week and during the game. You get the feeling Tommy Papley enjoys Gather Round. <laughs> he may be built for the concept. Mount Barker presented beautifully for the Roos and the Lions, but as if a real Lion and a real Roo were going head-to-head, this was a mismatch of epic proportions. Big Joe and Big Eric kept on keeping on with nine goals between them, and Charlie Cameron, one of the most exciting players in the game, kicked another four, taking his fortnightly tally to ten. Brisbane slammed through 42 scoring shots in a slaughtering of the faltering Kangas. Remember when they were two and zip? Then we got down to business with an Adelaide Oval two-piece in driving rain. As Adelaide Oval's surface proved irre- irrepressible, unlike the MCG, from rain and mud, Port and the Dogs played out a slippery arm wrestle. In quarter four with all the marbles at stake, it was Port's young guns, their future, that stood tallest. Horn Francis went bananas. He had 11 disposals, four clearances and five inside 50s in the last quarter. Zach Butters was everywhere and never fumbled. Rosie carried on his 2022 All-Australian form. And Todd Marshall did what good forwards do. 
He turned a poor night into two magical moments, kicking two goals in two minutes, including the sealer from the fence. Marshall drilled one in pouring rain in front of the power faithful, giving the power a vital win at home, thus taking advantage of the extra home game Gather Round provides them. And lastly, the surprise of the weekend. And it was the win of the weekend. Sorry to Adelaide. It was Essendon. The conditions were set up for the Dons to fail. But instead, they gave the Ds a bashing in a comprehensive and consistent performance, which was wallpapered with some late Melbourne goals. Oliver had his usual 41. Petrarca had 27 and a goal, but it was the Bombers who withstood and overcame. It was Merritt, Parrish, Shield, McGrath and Ridley who led from the front, as your leaders should. But it was newbies like Durham, Martin and Setterfield who carried out the most popular catchphrase in footy, playing my role. And the Ruckman, Draper and Phillips, combined for five goals in the rain. Who'd have thought? Are Essendon for real? Only time will tell. But we loved what we saw yesterday in the Adelaide twilight. That was Thursday, that was Friday and that was Saturday. What will Sunday bring? What will 4.50pm bring as 4-0 St Kilda face 3-1 and Collingwood? Hey, and that was the first Sunday sermon from the Reverend himself, Josh Jenkins. Absolutely love that. And I'm we're going... Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, have a sip of water. Tom and I can do a little <laughs> bit of talking for a, a little bit here. But let's get into yeah. yesterday's surprise, as Josh said, of the round. But probably the most exciting game of the round, particularly if you are of the Bombers' persuasion, Tom. It wasn't the result we saw coming. They were simply too good for the Ds. They kind of beat the Ds at their own game because they were winning the contested ball and they had more tackles as well. They were ferocious around the contest. And as Josh alluded to, they just had players that were ready to do their role. Quite incredible after wins over Hawthorne, Gold Coast, GWS, uh, and a three-goal loss to St Kilda, they've got the result against Melbourne. Um, Callum Toomey, who's a friend of the show, he on, is indeed. on uh, Crunch Time, is on Saturday Crunch Time, he tweeted the term Brad Ball in reference to Baz Ball, which is, of <laughs> course, England, the new way England are playing That's cricket. Good. And I'm not, uh, I'm not as familiar with the tactics and the strategies of the game as you are, Josh, but um, what Brad Scott has done to this team is clearly quite special and it's allowing Essendon fans dare to dream. And you asked a question in that uh, Sunday sermon, um, how far can this take them? Are Essendon the real deal? I'd like you to answer that question as well. <laughs> well, I thought I was just allowed to pose it. <laughs> answer it. Um, oh, we don't know. That's the truth. We don't know because... What do you think? Uh, what, what, what are your eyes telling you? I, I think he's done a great job, Brad Scott, and the coaching staff around him. I think he's done a great job at... So everyone knew Adelaide... Uh, Essendon had excellent uh, offensive talent. Everyone knew they could attack from stoppage. Shield and Merritt and Parrish can run and find the ball and, and, and blast it inside 50. But could they defend with the elite teams? The danger was to take away their strength and really just say, we're just going to be a defensive grinder. But he's been able to keep the offensive scoring and being able to score 100 points, that'd have to be, I haven't checked, that'd have to be the highest scoring team in the competition or very close to it. So he's been able to keep and maintain their strength, but slowly chip away at improving the defensive elements of the game and the defensive mindsets of the game. I've heard Zach Merritt talk about it. I've heard Darcy Parrish talk about it. The desire to be involved when you haven't got the ball. So he's done a great job at selling uh, hope in that side of things, but also saying... 
we're still going to be exciting. We're still going to play a great brand of footy. And you're still going to enjoy it because, newsflash, players enjoy <laughs> uh, kicking and chasing the footy more than they do chasing the opposition. <laughs> do the Bombers need to reevaluate uh, their expectations, Josh, for the year at 4-1? and one? And I say that with the rider of, you know, we saw a St Kilda last year who I think were 8-3 and three and they didn't make finals. But uh, sitting at 4-1, and one, they've set themselves up for success and they've now got this sculpt that, they can build off, you know, they can play against a team that is challenging for the flag this year and not just play against them, but beat them by 27 points. Do they need to reevaluate where they're at? Um, no, not really. No, not not from... Because they've been criticised a fair bit for talking too much, Essendon, <laughs> uh, and telling us that this was the year and the brand and all this and that and the other. So not not particularly. I think you just keep on... You know, doing what you're doing and building, there's going to be hiccups. That's a thing. You, you, when you talk and you and you say, well, I think we've arrived a bit quicker than we thought. Now we're aiming at the top eight or the top four. You just set yourself up for any natural slip-ups that you have. People you know, jump on you and, and want to come for you and, 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 and criticise you. So I think they're doing a great job of just keeping a lid on their expectations and trying to improve as a football team and a football club. It's amazing how quickly things can change. The collateral damage that was evident with Ben Rutten's sacking and how messy that was, having a CEO in the job for a matter of days and then having to have him resign for reasons outside of football. Um, and we've seen it at other clubs as well, the collateral damage with uh, Brett Ratton at St Kilda and, and that sacking. Um, and, of course, what happened at North Melbourne with David Noble and getting Alistair Clarkson. It just makes me think, Josh, that all of that is worth it if you get the right person in the role. And if Brad Scott is the right person, then Essendon are on the right track. Um, this is not to say they're going to win a flag this year, but the, the way that it all played out late last year is immaterial to what's happening right now. It is, but um, we spoke about this last week, didn't we, with Brett Ratton and how he must feel. And you must, you got to, you got to feel for Ben Ratton, don't you? Because um, there's collateral damage when it when a club goes from underperforming to performing well or exceeding expectations. There's there's someone who has been removed who who feels awful in this uh, situation. So you've got to feel for Ben Ratton like you would for Ben uh, for Brett Ratton. But, um, yeah, I mean, what they've done has been excellent early in the season. And to get that win over Melbourne would just be that affirmation. Yeah, we have just beaten teams who are a bit you know, lowly or, or not necessarily finals contenders. To beat Melbourne, who have been up and going, would give them great satisfaction and just really uh, emphasise the fact they're headed in the right direction. That's the Essendon side of the coin. Let's hear from Melbourne coach Simon Goodwin now, clearly disappointed after the match. Oh, the best way I can sum it up, it wasn't us. You know, it just didn't look like us as a team. You know, our ability to work and our ability to win contests. And, you know, we, we know we play our best foot in a contest pressure type of game, but that wasn't us today. And you've got to give Essendon credit. You know, that's a, it's a tough, ruthless competition that we live in. And, you know, sides are on the up and Essendon's one of those sides. And, you know, they were cleaner, they were harder and they won more critical contests. That wasn't us is a phrase that I've heard Simon Goodwin say quite a bit. And I, it first triggers my memory back to the 2018 prelim final when Melbourne lost to West Coast yeah, by substantial margin in Perth. They were, they, were, they were blown off the park. And he and he said that just wasn't us. They didn't even review that game because they were so confident that wasn't them. Now, they finished 17th the next year. Mm. Um, so clearly didn't things didn't work out in the short term. But then they won a flag in 2021. How much note did they take of what happened yesterday, Josh? And how concerned would they be by the performance um, especially the performance to concede 100 points for just the second time in 77 games as a football club, which is quite an incredible stat. 
Yeah, it is. And I guess when you set yourself such high standards and when you don't meet those high standards, it can it could really be be uh, be highlighted. But uh, I think Simon Goodwin said it perfectly, and I think they'll they'll review the game in that manner. Hey, look, we're, we're going to give you guys a, a pass in a sense that we're not going to pour over the vision. We're not going to break down every reason why they scored and every goal and who was out of position and who didn't necessarily run as hard as we should because you've built up more credit than that. But if we do it over and over again, then we've got a real problem here. And if it's a if it's a if it's a trend, not an event, then we start to get a bit concerned. But I think yesterday was an event, as I said uh, a little bit earlier. You can get beaten if you don't turn up. I don't care if you're Melbourne, you're last year's premiers, you're whoever. If you don't turn up ready to rock and roll, and the other team's uh, good to go, then you'll get beaten. You referenced the battle of the big men, Josh, in your Sunday sermon. What did you make of it? Because Brody Grundy was doing Brody Grundy things kind of around the ground, the 18 disposals and, and 24 hitouts. But then you've got Sam Draper and Andrew Phillips who combine for the five majors. And to some extent, that was the difference in the first half. Uh, indeed, indeed. Like To get five goals from... From those two big boys is is incredible. Draper had never kicked three in a game before that, so you know that's that's a that's a statement in itself. I, I don't think Andrew Phillips would have kicked two in a game many times, <laughs> if ever, either. So you know you're getting basically PBs from both of those guys in front of goal, and I, I think it, I think Essendon coaching staff would say if we can get two between them, then that's a real tick. That's you know goal a game each is a is a huge tick, but um, you know they were able to 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 get maximum bang for buck. Brody Grundy still did his thing, and rucks can can tend to do that. They can both be involved in the game uh, at different stages. But to get five goals, it's hard to go past that. As good as Brody Grundy was, and as as um, as much of a factor he was in helping Melbourne win the clearances. To get your big guys kicking five when you haven't got your best key forward, that is the difference. There's something pretty special about. I don't I don't think Andrew Phillips would be offended if, you, if if we refer to him as a journeyman ruckman. He's been around for a long time. He's 31 years old. You're right, Josh. He's never kicked two goals in a game of AFL footy. He's only, ever kicked, he's only kicked 24 goals in 65 games before yesterday. But there's something quite special about uh, a ruckman who's been around the block for a long time, finding some form in a team that is peaking at the right time as well. Andrew Phillips might have found a role alongside Sam Draper for the rest of the year now. And that's something that you couldn't have predicted six weeks ago. No, well, he's a 31-year-old with with 65 games under his belt, and he hasn't been injured that much. It's pretty rare, isn't it? Mm. But he's he's he has been that guy. He's been that. I'd love to know how many times he's been named an emergency. I reckon it would be <laughs> at least as many games he's he's played because he's always that guy. If you know, if if our main ruck goes down, then Phillips can play, and we know he can play, and that's why you see Tom Campbell bounce around. You see, we've got Jonathan Segler who who was at Collingwood and then Hawthorne and now with us, those guys who are really reliable, who are durable and who you can just plug in and play if you need them are, are actually really valuable. They don't cost you a lot and um, he's he's doing that. And hopefully he's making the most of it too because it's – look, when you're 31, you've played 65 games, I've got to imagine there's more downs than ups. Mm-hmm. So you hope 
guys in that situation and the people around them can really get around them and say, you know, this is a period of your career where you're going really well. Let's celebrate the fact. And probably just on one-year deals as well, which makes things even more difficult yes. to plan for the rest of your life. I think Ruckman in this situation, Andrew Phillips, are a bit like soccer goalkeepers and cricket wicketkeepers. They're sort of spare parts that are plugged in at the right time. But if you get it right, if, if you find the right club and the right person and that fits together – you could actually create something pretty special. Well, it can be the beauty of having a new coach as well and a fresh set of eyes. And I think Brad Scott said after the match yesterday, he's actually, he has to be careful what he says to Andrew Phillips because he's so coachable. So he'll take everything on to <laughs> the letter of the law. But I guess that says some great things about him too. If you are just joining us for the second hour of Sunday crunch time, a little bit of injury news as well out of that match, Tom? Uh, Essendon, Melbourne. Yes. Well, Jake Lever didn't play with an ankle. Michael Hibbard with an Achilles. Ben Brown, Josh, was a, a late withdrawal with a back injury. But I guess the big news story out of that game, aside from the result and those injuries, uh, was Zach Merritt, who um, who tackled Tom Sparrow late in the game. Um, this tackle, the MRO is looking at today. Um, we're yet to get the exact findings from the MRO, but I expect that he'll uh, be charged with rough conduct, dangerous tackle, and, and, and receive a one-week suspension for that, which is... A big penalty when you look at the initial incident, but I had a look at the incident from another angle um, just a few minutes ago, and I think it's probably worthy of a week, certainly under the framework that we have. This is not to say Essendon can't argue it down. So careless, high contact, medium impact is one week. The potential to cause serious injury elevates it from low to medium, but there was no injury whatsoever to Tom Sparrow as far as I know, and that's what I think Essendon will argue at the tribunal before Anzac Day. They'll try to get him off um, and get it downgraded to low impact, which would be a fine. But it's been, an, it's been a weekend devoid of really any MRO controversies, <laughs> and, uh, and this is probably one. It, it's very hard to get off on a tackle. So the Essendon will try, but um, it's not an easy gig. And there are still three more games to come this weekend. And it begins at the Adelaide Oval between the Geelong Cats and West Coast Eagles. Geelong's GM of footy is Simon Lloyd, and he's been good enough to join us this afternoon. Simon, welcome to Crunch Time. Hi, Sarah, Tom and JJ. How are you all? Good. We are good. How are you? Are you over there at Adelaide? Are you soaking in all of the pizzazz, the vibe that is gather round? It's a wonderful concept, and uh, I think every club has loved their time over here, and it's a, it's a great credit to the AFL and the South Australian government. It's, uh, we cannot believe we're here at Adelaide Oval at the moment, and the, after all the rain last night, the ground, ground is magnificent, absolutely magnificent. So you wouldn't know that four games have been played here already. Simon, Tom Morris here. Good to chat. Where would you have gather around position Ooh. for the next three or four years <laughs> if you were the CEO of the AFL? <laughs> Geelong. <laughs> Geelong. Geelong. <laughs> we just need to work out a couple more ovals uh, down, down on the Ballerine. But no, I, look, it's an interesting one because uh, obviously there, there may be a few bidders, uh, but I think everyone's pretty happy with South Australia. But I love the concept of, you know, we've obviously spent a lot of time up in, up in Queensland as well. So, and the last time, the junior football in Queensland has just skyrocketed. So we went out to... Uh, Broadbeach and uh, the Broadbeach Cats, and we had over a thousand of training, just a training session in the pre-season. So it's it's really growing, growing up north as well. So I, I'd like to go up there. Lloyd, I spoke earlier about the you know gather rounds magnificent, and we get to, to to benefit from all that it brings, and the people, and the festivities, and having all the games in one place. Can you talk to us a little bit? Is it is it a toll 
or is there an extra workload on the staff behind the scenes, a lot of um, extra logistics that you guys have got to go through? And you know, I'm talking about people who, who have got to you know, pack the truck up and cart more stuff. Is it, a, is, it, um, is it a big toll on those types behind the scenes and, and you guys having to organise a lot more stuff? Or is it pretty much just, a, just like another away, away game for you guys? Oh, there are a huge amount of logistics. Um, we were just talking to Matthew Knight in the middle of the ground and West Coast uh, packing up today and heading back to WA and then they're back here next week. So, um, But we actually understand. I think all, all AFL clubs do understand um, the significance of this. Uh, it's going to really help grow the game and uh, it's really just a, it feels like a festival here. Uh, it's a real celebration and uh, it's great. It's quite funny walking down the hallways uh, to our um, eating area and you walk past and there's Hawthorne in one room and Melbourne in another and uh, yeah, so you're, 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 you know, you're rubbing shoulders with a lot, a lot of people that you've known over a period of time and so everyone, everyone's enjoyed being here and so I, I think it's something, that, it's something that's going to grow and uh, I think from a, from a tourism industry walking through Rundle Mall and seeing, seeing everyone in different colours and uh, you know, it's, 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 they've done a great job, incredible, incredible job hosting it. So aside from the cultural significance of the round, there's clearly a financial element to it as well, Simon. Have the clubs been told exactly how much money they're going to get filtered down to the salary cap, to the soft cap, um, and to the rest of the club from Gather Round, from the AFL? Uh, look, not in the future. We know what it is this year. So it's, you know, it's, I think it's well known that I think most, most clubs have uh, received around, uh, around a 700000 mark. And mind you, in saying that... Uh, with that money, there's a, a lot of the money goes into the logistics and the operations and, and getting over here and hotels and, and those type of things. But in saying that, there's there's, there's a small part of that, that that can you know that can go towards the staff and uh, around the soft cap and there's a chunk of that as well that's been split amongst the playing group for actually playing an extra round. Um, so it's, it's been great for all the all the clubs across the competition. Uh, but it's again, it's something that could just really build the industry. Lordy, is, is, you mentioned the soft cap, and I know that it's something that you've got to probably spend most of your time on considering where it once was and where it is now. Is it something that the that, that GMs and, and, and club chairman and chair people are really going after to try and replenish that area of the game? You see firsthand you know, how much the assistant coaches do and how much the welfare people do and how much you know, those behind the scenes, the medical team do to, to, to get the players and give the players everything that they need. So is that almost your primary, you know, um, desire at the moment to keep trying to replenish and, and put money back into the soft cap so that the clubs can and the people can have can have what they need? Yeah, Josh, having, you know, you know it yourself, having, you know, working in the industry and you do see the demands and tolls and, and the investment everyone makes in this. And several years ago, it was obviously sitting around the soft cap, you know, the money that you'd spend on your operational expenditure and your wages was, was around 9.7 million, and overnight that dropped to 6.2 million. And um, so, with that meant, you know, there were a lot of redundancies. Um, we, we cut a lot of things that we would do in regards to massage and physio treatment, and you know, a lot of, as I said, a lot of people lost lost their jobs. But now that's moved moved back around the seven million dollar mark. So it's 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 improved. But I think across the industry, uh, you know, we, we had. Clubs need to make changes, as a lot of businesses did throughout Australia, just to survive that period of time. But we're starting to look healthy again, and I think there are a lot of CEOs uh, across the competition. Um, 
some stronger than others that are canvassing and, and advocating strongly for, for an increase in the soft cap. And uh, I, you know, we're, we're hoping that there is a, an increase. I don't think it'll get back to where it was, whereas some, so I think some clubs are pushing for it to get back to where it was. Um, but I, I do do think and I do hope that it will increase uh, somewhat uh, you know, over, the, over the next year. We're speaking to Geelong GM of footy, Simon Lloyd. And Simon, I'm not sure if you heard our chat around Zach Merritt. He might be cited by the MRO uh, just before you came on for a, a dangerous tackle. You had a curious case this week where Gary Rowan was going to go to the tribunal for his dangerous tackle from the previous week. You were going to challenge the ban and then at the 11th hour, uh, you pulled out from it. Can you take us through that decision? Yeah, I, I can talk you through it. And again, I, look, I think, some people I was criticised for it in some parts of the media, and uh, I suppose from our perspective, there was a timing perspective because we we played obviously on Monday. Come Tuesday night, we found out uh, that Gary had been charged, and so we we have until Wednesday morning, uh, mid morning, to actually let the AFL know whether we will challenge or not. And at that point in time, we were still gathering information, and I had my thoughts on where it should go. Uh, Gary had his thoughts on where it should go, and we're, we're talking to legal representatives as well. So at that period of time, we said, yes, we would challenge it. And having slept on it overnight um, and, and almost where, where things are currently at, I, I just didn't feel that we should challenge it. And, uh, and and Gary ended up agreeing to that. So so the AFL were understanding, and we obviously changed. And I, I think we... That is... I, I suppose we do need a level of maturity. I suppose it might frustrate some people that you think all of a sudden you're going in there with a challenge, but... I actually felt that um, we were highly unlikely to actually get you know, you know, get over the challenge. Lots of AFL CEOs and footy managers in Adelaide at the moment. Have you got any indication as to uh, who the next AFL CEO would be and who the GM of footy is going to be? Got no idea whatsoever. <laughs> you probably I, I, I know as much as you guys do in reading reading the media, and uh, it's. Um, Obviously, Gil's done an incredible job over a long period of time, and uh, obviously, there's a number of candidates that have uh, have been interviewed. And uh, I suppose they're not going to make the decision on the GM of football until uh, the CEO's role is. Um, obviously, they make a decision on that CEO's role. So, look, your guess is as good as mine, but I'm sure um, they've got some great candidates. Well, Simon, you've been somewhat saved by the bell because we've got a hard out in about 20 <laughs> seconds. So thank you so much for joining us on Sunday Crunch Time and good luck to your cats against the West Coast Eagles today at Adelaide Oval. Great to chat. See All you right. Man. Thanks, Simon. That was Simon Lloyd there. But up next, our weekend wonders and the booing of Jason Horn Francis. We unpack it all. Gives it the lots. Oh, it's raucous at the G now. Gives it to Nick Dacos. Breaks the tackle. Oh, you've got to be joking. Oh, they're a magnificent footy team to watch these pies. Caressed it for Kuno. Played on and gold. My God, they're exciting. On Crunch Time, let's find out who was this round's weekend wonder. I tell you what, if that doesn't get you up and about, Tom, I don't know what will. But it is time for our weekend wonders. It can be a highlight, a performance, a team, a player, just something you've picked up on, something that's made you wonder. What's Tom? yours, Sarah? 
Well, I'll kick it off, will I? Yeah, go first. My weekend wonder, and we've been giving a lot of praise to Essendon, but I want to give praise to one player in particular, and that is big Sam Draper. I thought when the game was on the line to be won in the first half, he was so influential with three goals. And Max Gorn was watching down on this match at Adelaide Oval from the press box. And I was wondering if Max was thinking, I see a little bit of myself in this Ruckman who is yet to play 50 games, but already to me, he is the spiritual leader of that club. And I think potentially a future captain at Essendon. A cult figure, Josh. He certainly is that. Uh, You know what? I I, I was going to pick him as well, Sarah. Hey, well, I got in first. But for a different reason, I want to congratulate him for his willingness to do a proper pre-game interview. He did a goal-kicking competition with Eddie Betts. Mm. We're, we're, we're starting to get there. Some players, <laughs> I remember having to um, uh, have uh, scraps and fights with teammates because they didn't want to do the uh, little Fox footy walk-off interview at half-time, let alone a, a big pre-game interview like that. So well done to Sam for that because the game needs a bit more access. So um, he played well. And it didn't affect his play. Uh, who'd have thought? <laughs> uh, on that, Josh, what percentage of players do you think are more willing to do uh, media interviews that perhaps a little bit uh, more left of centre than what they have been in the past? Do you think it's growing? Uh, are players becoming more understanding of the need? Uh, no, not. No, I actually don't think so because it's too easy for them to say no. It's just too easy for them to say it affects my preparation. That's the answer we always used to get. Oh, no, I don't, it affects the way I prepare and. Um, for maybe one in a hundred, that 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 is true. But my answer to that would be, if a walk-off interview or a pre-game interview affects the way you play, then you've got bigger problems mm. than the pre-game interview. All right, Josh. Well, you couldn't get Sam Draper as your weekend wonder, but do you have mm. something else up your sleeve? I do. Uh, apologies to Jordan Dawson. Didn't actually play Ooh. on the weekend, so that's why I've left <laughs> him out. Um, I am going to stick fat with the tall forwards now. Um, a tall forward is any forward is a victim of circumstance, right? So rain, no good. Wind, no good. No supply from the midfield, no good. Last night, Todd Marshall had to put out with driving rain. That's a uh, stronger rain as I've ever seen at Adelaide Oval. And he, he didn't play very well. Seven disposals until late in the fourth quarter. But as a forward, it can, it can be not your night, but it can be your moment. And he had one moment in front of the uh, old scoreboard on the boundary to put the power in front. And he absolutely slotted it. He went back like a young man who knew he was going to kick it, who knew he was a great kick, and he absolutely drilled it. And Port never gave the lead back thereafter. He's pretty clutch in front of the big sticks, Todd Marshall. He's one of the best set shots in the game, do you think, Josh? It's a beautiful kicking style. It's relaxed. It's easy. It's composed. There's nothing um, There's nothing uh, over the top about it. He just kicks it like he did when he was seven or eight years old. And uh, more often than not, it goes straight through the middle. And Xavier Dersma kicked a clutch goal as well. The Bulldogs looked like they were going to win until about 10 minutes into the last quarter and Port were just too good in the end. But I, I was surprised at how much Port were able to run over the top of them via Todd Marshall and Xavier Dersma and their midfielders as well, Butters and... And Rosie and these sort of guys. Do you have a weekend wonder for us, Tom? I do, Sarah. My weekend wonder actually extends out a couple of days. I know we're being quite liberal on this. So my weekend wonder goes all the back all the way back to Thursday night and the Adelaide Crows. Back in round two, the Crows were Norton two. They lost to GWS, they lost to Richmond. And I've got to be honest, privately, 
I was off the Crows. I think we all were off the Crows, Josh. I couldn't see the Crows no. getting anywhere near finals at that point from Norton to they'd lost two games. They probably, well, they probably should have won at least one of them, if not two. I thought Matthew Nix might be under pressure. I haven't said that on the show. He's contracted to the end of next year. I'm happy to hold my hand up and say I was probably slightly off the mark here, but there was one person in the media, Josh, one person that backed the Crows in, and it's the woman sitting to my right. See, oh. I'm, I'm buying into the Crows. Yeah, I actually, you like the Crows, don't I actually you? think they could be three and zip because in the first two weeks of the season, they were just woefully inaccurate in front of goal. They had a 28-point lead against the Giants and in the end, you know, that match was played in really scorching, trying conditions and they just couldn't hold out. Against Richmond, they should have been in front at three-quarter time. They were 45 points down and came back to being within one point. And once again, mm. they'd spent all of their tickets. But if they had kicked straight in both of those games, they are arguably sitting at 3-0 and and we're having a different conversation. Too often in the media, Josh, we're here to bring people down. <laughs> when someone has a good opinion and a strong opinion like that, that's against the grain. You've got to give praise where it's due, Sarah. Yeah, well, I stand by it. I liked what I was seeing in that opening fortnight uh, from the Crows, and really they could be five and zip. But how electrifying were they on Thursday night against the Blues? I mean, it hasn't been a happy hunting ground for Carlton at, at all there mm. at Adelaide Oval, but that was a game that was done at quarter time. Done at quarter time. That first quarter was awesome. I think Jared Waitley said it best that Carlton turned up for a round five game and Adelaide turned up for a prelim final. That's the sort of, certainly the vibe that they gave. I, I'm bullish on the Crows now as well because I'm looking at their fixture. They're three and two, and they haven't played Gold Coast, they haven't played Hawthorne, they haven't played West Coast, and they haven't played North Melbourne. So they've got some very winnable games at some stage coming up. Um, this is not to say they're going to go deep or play finals, but they're tracking in the right direction, Josh. They are. They've got they've got the Hawks next week, so that looks handy. It's in Tassie though, so it just gets a bit awkward when you play the Hawks. It's cold, in Tassie, but <laughs> but then then I want to see, and this is again me trying to uh, live to my own words of not judging a team on one or two weeks, not being a prisoner of the moment, because after they play Hawthorne, they've got Collingwood in Adelaide, and then they've got Geelong in Geelong, and then they have got St Kilda back in Adelaide. So that's a three-week stretch where if they go two and one, if they win next week against Hawthorne, and then they go two and one, they can't be looking at anything other than finals. And they, their players, I said this across SEN earlier in the season, I, I think they've had a meeting as a club, as a playing group, and said, we think we can make finals and we are more than willing to say it because I've heard Brodie Smith say it, I've heard Mitch Hinge say it, I've heard Rory Laird say they think they'll make finals this year. And I'm sitting back thinking, whoa, 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 mm. whoa, let's let's pump the brakes. But maybe they were spot on, maybe. And they would know themselves better than anyone else, but maybe they were absolutely spot on. So if they win next week and then they go two and one in that little period of three weeks, they're right in it. And Gather Round has done something for the two home teams. I say that in inverted commas because Port Adelaide also got a win last night against the Western Bulldogs. But unfortunately, the story that has emanated from it really is the booing of Jason Horn Francis. This was Port Adelaide coach Ken Hinckley after the match. Oh, no, same as it was about Todd, about any of the young players or any player out there who, um, who had some challenges. I mean, Jason Horn Francis is 19. Some part of it's really annoying me about the way people are treating him. It's annoying me. Um, he's never going to play four quarters every week. He's 19-year-old. If you're treating my 19-year-old son the way some people treated, have treated him, I'd be embarrassed by my, by my performance if I was those people. I think it's been really unfair. The kid made a courageous decision to come home. Let the kid play footy. He's 19. Is that the doing you're talking about tonight? I'm talking about lots of things. 
talking about people who write stories every week, talk stories every week, and I'm talking about the treatment that they gave him at times tonight, without making a big deal of it. The kid's trying, he's given his best. He's 19. Stop treating him like he's 28 and treat the kid with some respect. And I tell you what, some people who put pressure on kids in this game need to have a good hard look at themselves. Hmm? Has he been affected by it? No, great, great credit to him. Great credit to him. He, he just wants to play good footy. He's happy being home. Good on him. So if we drill right down into this, Josh, is this Ken Hinckley having a go at the media and also the crowd from last night? The media for being critical of some of Jason Horn Francis' performance, performances and also the crowd for booing him um, in the wet last night against the Dogs in, in a game that he played really well, especially towards the end of the match. I think so. It's probably just a, a level of frustration from across the board. I even believe that, that people who are, are, are in his corner who are sort of pumping him up and really highlighting every time he does something well, and I don't think that helps either. I think I think all, all the attention, uh, they say any publicity is good publicity. It's quite the opposite for him. Um, and Ken Inkley says it was a courageous decision to come home. Well, the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people who think it was quite the opposite. You know, he he had no right to to leave the club after one year. I've got no idea. I, I I've got no idea about the situation at North Melbourne and whether it was good for him or not good for him. Or he wasn't doing his part and 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 he had to stick around and 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 try and tough it out. I've got no idea and I've got no view on it to be honest. But the reality is, Ken Hinckley says it was a courageous decision to come home. A lot of other people are filthy on him because he chose to leave after one year. That's just how it's viewed by people uh, out there in social media and the Twitter sphere, which is not a place you should really cast uh, too much judgment from. But also just general fans who love to boo because others boo. If you ask the Jason Horn francis camp, people on his side, they will say that North Melbourne didn't provide him with the environment to succeed. But if you ask people on the, on the North Melbourne side, they will say very confidently that he was never really there. He didn't really commit to it from the start. And as a result, um, it, it's more his fault than the club's. I think probably the truth is somewhere in between. It's hard for us to know from the outside. Regardless, he's only 19. But Sarah, do you think we should treat players differently when they're 19 to when they're 24 or 25 and perhaps give them more leeway? Yeah, for me, a 19-year-old is still a baby. Like, it really is. They're a teenager still. And I know they're, they're thrust into this professional environment and they have to grow up really quickly. But, I mean, I'm sure we were all making really silly mistakes when we were younger. So, you know, I'm, I'm not going to have a go at Jason Horn francis for being a little bit punchy on the field and, and for being a bit aggressive towards teammates as he was at North Melbourne. This is a kid who's got really high expectations on himself personally he does but also because he's got the glare of the football world on him as being the number one pick and unfortunately that's part and parcel of it. Josh what does it do for the playing group and Jason Horn Francis when a coach comes out and backs you so unequivocally in the media like that? Well Probably my first question will be, gee, I hope he backs me like that when, uh, when I, when I, when I uh, come under a little bit of pressure. But I, I think it just it, – it really shows and proves that, you know, they moved heaven and earth to bring him back. It was a deal that was on again, off again. But they – Port Adelaide were just desperate to get him and love the fact that they've got him and, 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 and are ready and willing to invest in him long, long term. So uh, it was great from Ken Hinckley and players love that because – the truth inside the four walls can be much different. But as long as externally it looks like the club's got your back, that's all you can ask for. And Juan Tredray referring to 
the coaching tenure of Ken Hinckley is untenable a few weeks ago. I mean, we don't know what's going to happen down the track, but clearly it's tenable. Clearly the players are playing for him and clearly he's coaching well as well because they're playing some good footy. They've won their last couple. All right, stick with us on Sunday Crunch Time. Up next, an eye to today's games. It's time to say hey to the social bet with Dabble. Josh Jeans has joined us for a banter and a bet. Go on, have a dabble. What are you really gambling with? Thanks, Sarah. Yes, plenty happening at Dabble. It is the only betting app where you can watch live streams at the same time as having a punt and chatting to other people in the banter channels. Like this guy, he's always in there. Lord, he's sure. That's what he calls himself, the Lord on the app. Uh, plenty of stuff happening in the banter channels this week. One that might have piqued your interest is the fact that people are saying they should tag Dacos. Yeah, well, I, don't, I just don't know about that. Last week, Nick Dacos had 38 possessions. Kicked two goals, two, which is pretty good for a guy playing halfback yeah. a little bit in the mid. So you're really making the argument to tag him here. But what happened with the game? Brisbane won by 30-odd points. So was Nick Dacos the difference? No. What was the difference? Their forwards were better. So you're saying the guy that's going to win the Brownlow is not the best player in the side? Not the most important player, and he's not the most influential player. Yeah. And he, whether he plays well or he doesn't, as we've seen this year... Four rounds in, he's played well every single game. Mm -hmm. They've won three and they've lost one. His best game was last week where he had 38, Josh, and I'll repeat myself again, Josh, he had 38 and kicked two goals two and they lost by 30 points. Hard to influence the result when uh, 21 other blokes haven't chipped in to help him out, I don't reckon, but that's we'll disagree on this one. But let's stay on this game. Collingwood Magpies taking on the Saints. Um, I'm going my check to kick two plus, I reckon. I liked Higgins last week. I think he's going to score another two plus. And I think the match points, total match points will be over 156 points. Range should clear as well. So, Yeah, not not a bad call. Over? You reckon the overs? I reckon over 156. Okay. Good defensive Well, think side. about just it. Saying Kilda. Just saying, just saying. But, right, let me have my go. Okay. Um, I think uh, Jordan Dugowie <laughs> will, be, will kick a goal. So anytime goal scorer. Darcy Moore will get 15 plus disposals. Mm -hmm. And the Pies... Under 23 and a half, negative one, negative 23.5. So you get yourself $4.75 there. And um, yeah, I think that's a good bet by me. So they're going to pump the Saints who have scored over 80 points pretty much in every game. Yes, sure. Probably it's going to be it's, 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 off, it's, it's offense versus defense this week. <laughs> Just wanted to check. Offense wins. Of course, you can copy those bets with one click. All you have to do, download the Dabble app, follow the Crunch Time AFL team. Cheers, Sarah. Back to you. See trending bets from profiles like Heath Shaw, Dane Swan, The Bev Show, and plenty of others. Get following Crunch Time and have a dabble. Go on, have a dabble. What are you really gambling with? For free and confidential support, visit gamblingonline.org.au. Welcome back to Sunday Crunch Time. Three games to go for round five. Geelong coming up against the Eagles before the Giants meet Hawthorne at Norwood Oval. And that it all finishes on what we do hope, what we do believe is going to be the game of the round. Collingwood taking on St Kilda at Adelaide Oval at 4.50 this evening, Tom. What are we hearing out of the Magpie camp? Because there are a few murmurings that perhaps a few players aren't too well. Yeah, Mitch Cleary was the first one to put this on the agenda a few minutes ago, that there's an illness sweeping through Collingwood and that maybe Jordan Dugowie might be in some doubt. So we won't know for a while yet, but that would be a huge blow. No Dugowie if he's unwell and no Ruckman for Collingwood. Who are you tipping? Are you tipping the Pies, Josh? Are you tipping the Saints? 
I'll tell you what, no to goey. Uh, I might change my... I'm, I'm with the pies. Um, no to goey. I might nearly flip on that, but Not yeah, that's a big yet. story. That's a big story. And well done for uh, attributing that to Mitch because for every player who needs to do more media commitments, we need to... Uh, we're not very good at attributing where stories come from, unlike the Americans who are more than happy to do so. Would well, you agree with that? I, I would agree with that. Um, okay. And I think Mitch gets some good stories. It's important to... Uh, to credit it where it's due, just on Geelong and West Coast, Brandon Parfitt is the sub for Geelong. Connor West is the sub for West Coast. And Aaron Cadman is making his debut for GWS. Number one pick, Sarah. He is. Key forward, Josh. I don't know how much you've seen of him, but um, he's a pretty exciting young talent. He was emergency last week. Yeah, I've set, I saw a lot of his uh, tapes and, and vision before the draft. Not that we had any chance of getting him at Geelong, but he's, um, he's lightly built, so he's going to rely on some... I guess early he's going to rely on kicks on the lead, marks on the lead and some ground level stuff before he can build his body. But uh, they liked him to Jeremy Cameron. If he can be half the player in his first year that Jeremy Cameron was, they'll be more than happy. Hey, speaking of Jeremy Cameron, will he be licking his lips today? Because he's in absolute form at the moment, Josh, averaging four and a half goals a game. No disrespect to West Coast, but this is a side that the Cats could really beat up today if if they want, if they're in that kind of mood like they showed against Hawthorne last week. Is is he the most watchable player in the league? I know Tom was making a case for Tom Papley, but Jeremy Cameron, I tell you what, he is box office, isn't he? He, he is. He's in the conversation. It wasn't that long ago where my personal opinion was that Tom Hawkins was a was a, a more complete and, and more valuable key forward because I thought he was more consistent. And that's what Cameron's added to his game this year. Has Just the consistency of performance and elite performance. He's getting so much more of the footy as well. He's been capable of those 20-plus possession games. But as I said, they were a little less frequent. But he's been able to get his hands on the ball so often this year. And, you know, having um, insights to his... Um, preparation and life he's had a baby that's been due for a while which is um which they've just had so he's had some disruptions there he copped a really bad knock to his sternum so he actually hasn't been able to train that much in Hmm. the past couple of weeks which might be the secret i might add but hopefully if he can get out there and train and keep uh rolling then we'll see an even better version of jeremy cameron just on gather round sarah as well it's been a huge success we know that but the herald sun is reporting at the moment as of a few minutes ago that uh the the AFL is set to lock in a deal with the South Australian government for the next four years. Wow. 2026. So if, if that is true, that's an amazing thing for the South Australian tourism industry, the government, South Australian football, um, and probably a little bit of a blow as well for New South Wales and Queensland who would have expected at least a slice of this pie at some stage over the next few years. Well, Jimmy Bartell, who of course is on the Giants board, yep. um, he was saying that it would be logical to bring it to New South Wales next because if the AFL are really uh, into growing the game, they need to be putting gather round in states that do indeed need to grow the game. So they'll be disappointed with that. I know John Longmire, after the Swans win over the Tigers, he kind of flippantly made a joke about moving on on next to New South Wales. But they would be disappointed hearing that it's going to remain in South Australia. But I guess, JJ, possession is nine-tenths of the law. Yeah. And South Australia did so much work to get gather round over there and they're being rewarded. Oh, I, I wouldn't have been in favour of taking it to New South Wales in the near future, how many people are going to turn up to these neutral games in Sydney? Like, how mm. many, how many, like, Norwood Oval was packed for Fremantle and Gold Coast. How many people in New South Wales are going to go to that game? Like, seriously. So, um, 
I, I think it's a great thing. I'm surprised it's four years, or a couple of years, or even just next year would have been good enough. But uh, money talks. Well, the reason the reason why they want four <laughs> years, the South, South Australian government, is so they can. Uh, redevelop stadiums and have infrastructure that will last beyond just a year or two. So they're, they're seriously talking about stadiums in McLaren Vale and the Barossa Valley, Sarah. I'm salivating. Which is right Get up your there. alley. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've all had FOMO wow. this weekend, haven't we? Because we haven't been at Gather Round in Adelaide. Uh, so if it is there next year, maybe we can get on the road and get to Gather Round over in South Australia, Tom. I mean, I'd love that, but I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm just happy doing the show with you fine yes. people and being a part of it, whether we are in Melbourne or wherever it is around Three big games to come up today. Geelong and the Eagles, the Giants and Hawthorne, Collingwood and St Kilda. This has been the Round 5 edition of Sunday Crunch Time. Enjoy the footy.